This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, we examine some questions teachers may face, and we give some teaching tips along the way. This winter, we are studying the first 19 chapters of Genesis. I'm Amber Vaden, your host, and today I'm joined by Gia Thornburg and Dwayne McCreary. Gia serves as an editor on our Explore the Bible team. She also leads a Bible study at her church using Explore the Bible and just brings wise insight to our conversations. Uh, many of our listeners may recognize Dwayne McCreary. He was the Explore the Bible team leader for many years and this podcast host. Now he leads all of LifeWay's ongoing Bible studies for adults, which includes Explore the Bible, but also Bible Studies for Life and the Gospel Project. Gia and Dwayne, thank you both for being here. Well, thank you for inviting us. It, it's always different being on this side. I'm, I'm not sure which one is more <laughs> challenging. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's nice to it's nice to have familiar uh, people, and it's nice to have you both. Today, we're looking at session two, where we will discuss Genesis chapter two, verses seven through nine and fifteen through twenty-five. So we'll just jump in. I'm going to first share our outline just to give a brief overview of what is taking place in these verses. And then we will dive into some questions that either you may have or that your group members may pose during your group time. The first part of our outline begins with chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, and we have titled that Placed. In these verses, Moses explained that God formed the formed the first man out of dust, breathed life into him, and placed him in a garden that God had planted. In the middle of the garden was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In verses 15 through 17, God directed this man to cultivate and oversee the garden. The man was granted permission to eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God warned him that he would die if he ate from that one tree. Next, we look at verses 18 through 20. In these verses, God noted that the man was alone. Each animal and bird was reviewed and named by the man. However, none of the animals were suitable partners for the man. And then finally, in verses 21 through 25, God caused the man to go into a deep sleep while he extracted a rib from his side. From this rib, God fashioned the woman. When God presented the woman to the man, he responded by declaring that she was like him, having been taken from him. This confession serves as the foundation for a man leaving his parents' household to take a wife in covenant. Moses described the couple as naked but not ashamed before God or in each other's presence. Our summary statement for this whole session is this, God created man and woman to work together as one in his creation. So it's maybe a familiar passage for a lot of our group leaders and maybe even group members, but let's just begin with some questions. Gia, our first question is for you. How does the creation account in chapter two differ from the account in chapter one? And why would Moses provide each of them? Sure. So one way that we can look at the differences between chapters one and two is chapter one is kind of your big picture. So in chapter one, you see a general overview of all of the days of creation and what God created on those days. So you see God creating a space and then filling a space. You see him create the heavens, then he fills it with stars, right? He creates the seas, he fills it with fish. 
So we have this general overview of the days. And then chapter two, we move into zooming in from that big picture to a particular day of creation and a particular um, one of God's creation, which is man and woman. Um, and we see the details of that part of that account. Um, and so why does he do this? Um, we need to also remember the context of this book. So Moses is our writer and he's writing during a time when the Israelites are in the wilderness, most likely, you know, waiting to go into the promised land. So they're going from one pagan land, Egypt, to another pagan land, Canaan. And, and so we can think of, you know, they'd probably be familiar with these pagan creation accounts. We have a pack item on these pagan accounts too, pack item nine, but to kind of summarize those, you know, they would describe the creation um, in a very passive way, especially the creation of humans in a passive way, very impersonal, unintentional, as if it was by chance or out of boredom. And Moses here, especially in chapter two, is emphasizing that humans are the climax of God's creation. He created them purposefully in his own image, right? Um, these pagan gods wouldn't have done that. They would have been threatened. Humans would be below them. But God creates us in his own image, he does it personally. He personally forms Adam out of dust and breathes his life into him. He takes the rib from Adam to create the woman. The word forms in there is actually the word for build. He builds the woman so that Adam can have a helper fit for him. So um, Moses is you know, reminding them and us that we are purposely made made in his image. And I just feel like that really resonates with us today, especially too being in a culture that doesn't always believe that we're built with purpose. Um, and it, it's encouraging mm -hmm. to us to mm -hmm. see this detailed account, um, to know that we are intentionally made, um, even if we live in a world that doesn't also believe that or agree with that. That is so helpful. It's, it's just one more example of how the the very initial pages of God's word really lay the foundation of how we're to understand who God is and who we are. And so what you just shared kind of kind of weaves into that really nicely. Thank you. So our second question, it is for you, Dwayne. Um, how is God's provision of work a blessing instead of a curse? You know, a lot of folks view work as a negative thing. But mm -hmm. we need to remember that God gave a work assignment prior to the fall. And so that pain, those blisters, the herd of blisters, all that kind of stuff happened after the fall. So that work was intended to be a joy. Uh, the writer of the adult commentary did a great job of explaining it in these two terms. He notes, uh, the, the commentary writer notes, that in this context, uh, this assignment that was given to Adam gave him an identity. Number one, he represented God in this context. He represented God in the garden. His work was to represent and, and be a steward of uh, God's character and his intention for creation. But beyond that identity, the writer of the adult commentary notes, it also gave Adam a purpose. He was to watch it. Um, both of those things work together to make a blessing. You imagine what it would be like if you didn't have an identity uh, and you didn't have purpose. That would actually be a curse if you didn't have those two things. God's assigned us an identity and a purpose, and it ties to the creation here. I would make this point, too, 
you know, the, that verse 15 of chapter two, where it says he's to work it and watch over it. That word watch over in other places has the idea of to guard, um, to be the one who makes sure it stays the way it is or rule over it, those type of things. That's going to be much more important when we get to chapter three. When we see the fall take place, we're told that there'll be a cherubim who's placed over the garden and that cherubim will now watch it. Initially, the purpose of Adam was for him to be that watch, watchful person over the garden. A cherubim wasn't needed because it had already been assigned to Adam. And so those things really helped me get a handle on the idea of what God wants us to do in creation. I think that's helpful. And also going back to what Gia shared. So not only you mentioned God gives us an identity and a purpose, it also helps us to understand how we relate to him because those were gifts from him. Uh, And so that's, that is helpful. And he defines those things. We don't define that identity or purpose. It's not up to us to define it because we're not capable. We're not the one who created it. He's the one who created it. So he has the right to, uh, to define our identity and our purpose. Yes. Yes. Uh, Okay. So our next question, this one is also for you, Dwayne. How can people appropriately rule over creation today? In these, in these verses, uh, we learned that Adam was uh, given that, that role, but as, um, but we know that today that is, that is our role. So how do we appropriately do that? Yeah. The the big difference between that being assigned to Adam and it being uh, carried out by us today is that assignment was given to him prior to the fall. And so sin wasn't present. And now we have to work through sin to accomplish that task. Um, As I thought about this in preparation for this conversation, I was reminded of a book by T.W. Hunt. Um, The original title was Doctrine of Prayer. It got republished. Uh, under the title of Life-Changing Power of Prayer. It's the same content, just different titles. And and the reason that I was reminded of it, because he says that the purpose of prayer is to align ourselves with God's will so that we can think as he thinks with the idea that then we can rule as he rules. So the purpose of prayer in Dr. Hunt's mind was for us to be able to rule effectively fulfilling this assignment that was given to Adam. Uh, that, that would be one reason why prayer and praying scripture would be so critical because that's how we understand God's will. It's how we understand how he's worked in history. It's also ha- that we understand that it's not about what we want, but it's about what he wants for his creation. So the answer to that question, I know this sounds like a Sunday school answer, but how do we appropriately rule over his creation today is we begin with prayer And we ask God to help us understand what he wants his creation to be all about. Uh, Because otherwise, we'll let ourselves and our own desires get in the way. And we'll forget that God has something he's trying to do in this creation. And he had a purpose uh, and an identity, like we talked about just a minute ago, for us to fulfill. And we need to seek his counsel, not our counsel, to make that happen. Yeah, I like that because partly because that is that is practical. That's something that we can do. And we know how to do. Uh, so that's a that's a valuable addition to this conversation. 
Okay, so our last question, Gia, this one is for you. God himself created the first marriage relationship. How does this truth shape our understanding of marriage and God's intentions for it? Yeah, so I'm going to start with the last half of that question with God's intentions for marriage, because um, even though it's just a few short verses at the end of chapter two, we can see God purposely design the covenant of marriage and see his intentions for it in them. Um, so God starts in verse 18 with the reason that he created it. You know, he said that it is not good for man to be alone. At this point, he had only created the man. And so, you know, we are not meant for isolation. We are created for a relationship because we are made by, um, we're made in the image of God and God is triune, right? He is in relationship. And yep. so he purposely created the woman to be a companion or a helper for the man so that he wasn't alone. And that word helper is the word ezer. Um, and if we kind of looked at that word in the Bible, it is used other times, but in reference to God. And so, but here it's talking about the woman as his helper. Um, and so that kind of gives us some context about how she relates to the man. Um, and that also she's made from his ribs. So there's this really beautiful picture that they're kind of side by side, you know, rib to rib, working together, right? Mm -hmm. That word ezer. Um, she's a helper. She's not his housewife, his servant. He's not above her. She's not below him. She's bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. She's made of the same stuff that he has. Unlike all of the animals that Adam has analyzed and named, she's of equal value and different function. And so we see his intention for marriage. First off is one woman, one man. Again, that seems like doing, you said a, a Sunday school answer. It seems simple, but we see that intention stated here, one man and one woman. Um, God didn't create another man. He created a woman to be compatible with him. Um, and we also see them working together as um, equals. You know, we, we know later they have different functions. But um, and we also see in these verses in verse 24, the concept of leaving and clinging. Right. So going from your parents household to the household of your spouse um, and in these verses, we also see the phrase hold fast to his wife or bond with his wife. So moving from his parents' house to bond with his wife, that's covenant language that's used there. And so um, we, we see that, you know, this marriage is a covenant relationship. And so how does that shape our understanding of marriage? Um, you know, in, in short, we, we know that it's it's designed intentionally by God. Therefore, he, he defines it. And we need to um, understand that this is God's definition, not a definition that the world has put on it, the culture or, you know, marriage isn't made by the government. It's, it's made by God. Um, and it's this beautiful um, working together of a man and a woman in God's creation, you know, back to our summary statement. Um, that you mentioned earlier, Amber, and it ultimately reflects who God is. That's so helpful. That's so good. Um, and a really good explanation of those last few verses of, of this chapter. Each week, we also try to highlight 
uh, something in the leader guide that could be helpful to you as you lead your group discussion. Uh, and so this week, I want to bring some attention. Pack item number seven is uh, available in the leader pack or in the digital leader pack, if you get that one. And it is a handout of a timeline of Genesis. It's just really interesting and kind of helpful. It might uh, provide some context of the time frame that we are talking about in this early, early uh, book of the Bible. And so the Genesis timeline, pack item number seven, could be a really good part of your discussion. If you have that, you have permission to make copies of that and hand that to your, your group members. As you, as you discuss it. Before we go, let me remind you about Extra. Each week, we identify a current news event and describe a way of using that news story to introduce and or conclude the group time. So these teaching ideas are free, and you can find them on the Explore the Bible website by going to goexplorethebible.com forward slash leader extras. Gia and Dwayne, thank you for being here. Thank you for letting us be here. Yeah, thanks. It's always always nice to have you both. Uh, next week, we will have the same two guest hosts, so we are thankful to have them two weeks in a row. We'll be discussing Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and verses 21 through 24. We hope that you'll join us.